Are you ready to embark on an adventure through the world of words? Join us on The Reading Revolution, and let's explore the exciting world of literacy together. Hello, and welcome to The Reading Revolution, powered by bookvending.com. This is our inaugural episode of what will be a bi-weekly podcast, exploring the world of literacy, its influencers, and advocates of all things reading. Today, we're speaking with children's author and literacy advocate Dee Romito, a former elementary school teacher, Dee has written over a dozen chapter, middle, grade, and picture books, and is a co-founder of the Buffalo Niagara Children's Writers and Illustrators, or Binkwe. She's also a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, a proud parent, PTA member, and all while maintaining her literacy-focused blog, writeforapples.com. While you enjoy our conversation, please check out her website, dromito.com. Dee, it is a pleasure to have you here this morning. Thanks so much for being part of our first episode of The Reading Revolution. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. So I'd like to say, let's start at the start. Can you remember when your love of reading kicked off? I would assume probably middle school, or not middle school, but maybe grade school, even earlier. What really fueled your passion for reading? You know, it's funny. I I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, You talk to a lot of authors, and they have specific books, specific moments that they remember that really made a difference for them in reading. I just always loved it. You know, I, I we were recently cleaning out some books at my dad's house and I found one that I used to read. Oh, I remember this book. So for me, it's 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 not a specific moment. It's not a specific time. I just always remember loving books and loving to write. We were talking a little bit before the podcast, uh, something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but you brought up something that you've kept through the years as something that you bring out in Christmas, and it's a a thing that your son is in love with. Do you look back and have any of those sorts of things, any of the books from your childhood still hanging around the house or anything that you've really held on to? I do, yeah. I have, uh, well, I was a stuffed animal collector when I was a kid and had over 200, and I have successfully narrowed it down (laughs) to one bin, uh, but they all had names, they all had personalities, you know, I would read with them and talk to them, so it that was hard to to part with, but what I did was I donated them to uh, an organization that gave them to kids in Nicaragua that didn't have stuffed animals, didn't have toys. So it was it was much easier to give away when you know that something special to you is going to be something special to someone else. And I think that applies to books too. You know, we, we have a lot of books in my house, but we will go through them. And if we don't read them anymore, we have a bin of special books that we will keep forever. And the rest we donate to libraries or give to free little libraries or other other kids that we know if we know somebody like Star Wars or something like that. Um, but it, it is hard. It's hard to part with those things because they are special to you and they have those memories. But that's the way that we do it is to be able to give it to someone else that we know will enjoy it. I find myself doing that too, reading the same books every year at certain points in the year. I don't know why I do that, but I have my favorites. The covers are all falling off and I tell myself... You don't need to read that again, yet I find myself going back to those. Do you see that in children as well, where they have that yes. favorite book that they continue to read over and over? Oh, absolutely. Um, at every age, too. You know, when the, the, the younger kids like to like to reread because they know the story, and that makes it easier for them. But even older kids, I mean, my son will pull out books he's, he's read a whole bunch of times, big, thick books, and I think, you're reading that one again? He's like, well, I love it. It's fun to go back into those, those worlds. So when you decide that you want to be an elementary school teacher, can you talk a little bit about your experience there and then what led you to say, 
you know what, I'd like to take this a step further and actually write books for kids. Sure. So I'm a person who likes variety, first of all. You know, you see that with my books that I write a lot of different things. But I, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. I, I did not go to school for teaching originally. I went for something in the travel industry. Then teaching jobs opened up. I wanted to stay in Buffalo, so I, I went back for teaching. And it was always something that I loved. I had done, they called it senior volunteers when I was a senior, where you went into classrooms. I had volunteered in different ways. And it was something I I. I did love, um, but it, my path kind of went sort of all over the place and not in a bad way because I feel like everything that I've done has kind of come together. And now in my books, those are the things that I write about. I write about travel and I write about friendship and I write about, you know, being in schools and in the classroom and things like that. Um, I'm terrible with this. I forgot the original question. So you're going to probably get that a lot from me. <laughs> No, I was just talking about that transition of, of being a teacher and those experiences, which is exactly where you to led writing. us. writing, yes. Okay. So, so yes. So, so I, I was in teaching. I was home with my kids, and I had always wanted to write a book and have a book. I, I, I can trace that. Actually, that I remember back to third grade. I have a, a picture of a bunny that I drew and some poems that got in a district anthology. My name was in there. I was in the index. It was the most exciting thing in the world. And I thought someday I want to have my name with my, you know, my name on the cover of a book on a shelf in a store. And that was kind of a dream of mine, but it wasn't my goal in life. You know, it was, it was just, it, it was something that I sort of forgot about, I guess. And I was home with my kids te- when I was teaching and my son asked me a question that just sparked an idea. And I sat down and I wrote something. It wasn't good, but I sat down and I wrote it. And I thought, oh, that's right. I always wanted to do this. And I went to a friend of mine who I knew liked to write. And I said, I know you like to write. We're going to this conference. And that's what sparked it for me. So it was, it was like it had always been there. You know, those, those childhood dreams that you think, well, someday I'll do it. And then all of a sudden I realized, okay, this could be someday. But I have to learn how to do it. It's not going to happen unless I make it happen. So that's, that's what happened with the transition. And when I, when I did that and started writing and, you know, enjoyed spending, having the flexibility with my kids, um, I ended up going more, more into the, the writing and, of course, then got my first book deal and began publishing. What was the first book that you wrote? So that's a, that's a different kind of question, right? The first book I wrote or the first book I sold? Um, because I, kids will ask me, how many books have you written? And I say, well, written or published, right? Because authors have a lot of books they've written that haven't. There's a lot of work that goes on that you, do, you never see. So the first book I published was The BFF Bucket List. Um, the first book I wrote was called Locker 43 and did not sell. It helped me get an agent. It helped me get along the path to publishing and kind of get that confidence. Um, but it didn't sold, but sell. But I kept going, and The BFF Bucket List was my first book that you could see my name on the cover at the bookstore on the shelf. <laughs> and I think that's a great distinction to make of coming from an author's perspective of what did you write? What did you sell in this day and age, how it's so much easier to self publish completely different world than actually yes. having a publisher. Could you talk a little bit about that sure. process too? Yeah. And I, I don't have a lot of experience in self publishing. So I do kind of tell people that when, when they ask me about it, there are some great self published books and, what you have to realize is you have to, what kind of person you are and what is it you're looking for. So for me, I don't want all the responsibility of choosing a cover and choosing a cover designer and finding an editor and all the pieces that a traditional, we call it traditional publishing, that a traditional publisher does for you. 
somebody, there are so many people that proofread and edit, copy edit, and you're responsible for all that. And some people love that. They want to be in charge of every detail and that's great. And then they, you know, they have the flexibility of where they want to sell it and what, how much they want to sell it for and all of those things. That's not me. Um, I like, I like someone else to do the things that they're good at and I will do the part that I'm good at. So traditional publishing works for me. But for a lot of people, self-publishing, especially if they're, you know, if they're local books or something like that, that maybe a national publisher won't buy, uh, that's another good avenue too. What do you think children see when they first are introduced to books at whatever age they are? I know we're encouraging parents to read with their kids at a very young age. And I remember when I started, you know, reading on my own, but even up to then, I loved the feel of a book. Can you talk a little bit about what you see kids really liking about picking up that book and kind of making it their own as they read through it or with their parents or on their own? Right. And there's, there's so many facets to that question too, because I think a lot of it is what they see. So if they see their parents reading and they see their older siblings reading, they see you know people on TV reading, it's, it's something they strive for, right? I want to be able to read. It's something they can't do yet. But when you put a book in their hands and they can tell a story from the pictures or they can hear it from an adult reading to them and know that story and, and sort of tell it, you know, as, as they go along, like you said, the, the favorite stories that you want to read over and over again, that's, that's a really big deal because it's something that they see that people do and enjoy and they want to be able to get there. So when you surround them with books and give them those opportunities to say, oh, hey, I can do this too. It's, it's really the first step on, on that journey of, of that book. And, and then you get into the part where, well, yes, then there's the whole the story and the, and the pictures and the things that they love about not just I can read a book, but look what's in it. Look what it does for me. And there's, you know, I, I get asked a lot, like, who are your favorite authors? What do, you, what, do you have a favorite book? My favorite book is a, I have it as a board book. It's called I Love You Through and Through. And it was a book that I read with my kids. So it's not, it's not one of mine from childhood. It's not one of mine that I read as an adult. It, it was just, it's such a sweet, simple little story. And it'll say, you know, I, I love your, your giggles and cries. And every time we do, I love you running and walking. And the kids would act it out, you know. And that book for me brings back all of those memories. My kids are older now, they're teenagers. But my daughter will still, if she wants me to come up to a room every once in a while, she'll go, mom, I have a book for you to read. And she'll put out, I love you through and through because she knows I cannot resist it. And if they will read that book with me, I'll still sit down and read it with them. So I think it's, it's just this magical thing that not only shows you what you're capable of, it gives you story. And it also gives you these moments that you do remember. You remember the ones you talked about with your friends or that you went, you know, you read it and then you went to see a movie with, with, your family or something like that. And, and for me, I have those, those books that are special to me because they're either friends books that I help them help them with, or something with my, my kids or something. I remember the kids reading all the time. Um, and it, it's just this, I, I kind of keep using the word magical book to me. That's what it is. It, it opens up all these different possibilities in this physical thing that you can hold in your hands, you know, but it's, it's so much more than that. And you bring up a, a great point where it becomes a family affair. And now you have teenagers who still love that book and they want to take a pause and, and reread that for nostalgia or, you know, or all the emotion that was behind that. And in this day and age, we know that literacy is, is a critical issue, not just here in the United States, but around the world with 
people who are not growing up in, in families like that, how important do you think it is to have that family connection with reading and, and kind of passing that along to kids who are probably going to do the same thing when they eventually have children of their own? As you said, it's not, it's not in every home. It's not in every family. Uh, and, and that's for different reasons. I mean, sometimes parents are so stressed and working so many jobs that they, they don't have the time to sit and read. Um, but when, when they see it, whether it's in family, in school, you know, on, on television where there's, there's books and commercials about books and, and, and all of those things, I think they, they take all of that in. And when kids see parents reading or they see, you know, they see that you go, you go to the library, Right. Even just these, if, if you can't afford books, the simple act of going to the library and being able to. I mean, how wonderful is that, that we live in a society where you can go and get, you know, books for free and borrow them and return them and other people can use them. So I think when they when they see all of that and, and family reading, I mean, that to me is if you have that piece, it's so it's so great. Even, you know, when things are going on in the world. I mean, we were we were choosing books at one point that were um, you know, trying to make sure make sure we're choosing diverse books and make sure um, books about racism and, and things that you can teach so much through books. You know, even one of my favorites is the story of Ruby Bridges. When you give that to a child, especially kids nowadays that didn't live during that time, I didn't live during that time either. But when you give a book like that and you start reading and they they realize, wait. Things were like that, right? We don't want it to be like that. I mean, you, you, you learn history through books, and there's so many things. So when you sit down as a family and do those, we would do some, you know, and I love picture books. It doesn't matter the age. You can sit down, and it's, a, it's usually a quick read, and you can talk about those things. It opens up a dialogue, I guess, is really the simple answer to that question, that if you're, if you're reading books in families, it opens up a dialogue, whether it's a question about a word that they don't understand or the, a picture in the book or a topic. It gives you that, that opportunity to really talk about things. And I'd, I'd like to take a, a moment here and talk a little bit about how you learned about what bookvending.com does. You know, obviously we are getting books into the hands of kids who might not have a home library of their own. And, right. you know, I, I can attest for it as well as David and Thomas here will do a lot of our video work where they capture the faces of kids who get this book that is theirs and the elation and just the excitement that's on their faces. When they launched the first book vending machine at School 61 here in Buffalo, New York, you kind of played a role in <laughs> people really learning about what is going on with bookvending.com. Can you talk a little bit about how you learned about what's happening here and, boy, the magic that you created right afterwards? Yeah, and it was unintentional. Really, um, I was on Twitter a lot at that time, and I, I believe you mentioned a couple of organizations that I belong to, and one is SCBWI, which is the International Children's Writers and Illustrators Organization. And I believe our regional advisor, somebody must have contacted her, and they contacted me and said, you know, you're in Buffalo because they were in Syracuse. Uh, would you like to go to this? And I don't remember what it was. I had some kind of conflict, and I couldn't go, so I asked someone from our local group, or we call it Binkwi, um, if, if she wanted to go and she went and I said, send me some pictures, you know, I thought it was really cool and really exciting. And she sent me a picture and I tweeted about it. And all of a sudden I get, my phone kept beeping with all these notifications that I got, you know, these, these retweets and, and 
I kept showing my kids. I said, I wasn't, look it, I wasn't even there, but look what's going on. And people were messaging me and saying, how do I get one of these? This is so neat. Tell me more about it. And I eventually had to make a blog post you know, with all the information directing people saying, I, I'm not a part of, you know, I, I don't do this, um, but this is what they're doing. And this is a really cool thing that they're doing. And I ended up meeting uh, the assistant principal that, that worked there at the time that was integral in that too. And so sort of got involved with it uh, without meaning to, but it was, it was, I think my passion about it too, that I thought it was so exciting that, I needed to post about it, even though I wasn't there. And, you know, as I said, schools and teachers and librarians just kept retweeting and commenting. And I thought, this is really something here. And like you said, it's, I mean, first of all, how fun is it to get anything out of a vending machine, right? My kids, we can, we can have a whole thing of Doritos at home and we go and they see something in a vending machine. Can I, can I get something out of the vending machine? And then to get books out of there and to make it that it's exciting to get books, right? And to be able to choose a book. There, there's so many pieces to that that are just so fun for a kid. And then to, to also make it that books are special, right? You get a, and I know schools work in a different way, but you get a token or you, you are the one who's going to go up to that machine and decide what you're getting. That puts it in their hands and says, okay, I get to pick what I want and which book that I want and choose from and see all of these different, these books. And as you said, a lot of times kids that, that wouldn't have that opportunity, normally. So it was just such a cool piece. And, and I met everybody in the office. I remember walking in and they all were like, D, it's D. I mean, we had never met before, but you know, we had this connection now because of this. So I was, I was happy to play that part in it, even though I didn't mean to. Well, we thank you for it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you, you brought up a really interesting concept there, the, the, the concept of freedom. Now, when I think about childhood, I think about, you know, your first bicycle or your skateboard where you can kind of venture out of your own neighborhood. And we oftentimes talk about books opening up worlds, whether it's science fiction or whether it is history, being able to explore something other than what's right in front of you. Can you talk a little bit about that freedom of being able to choose what you want to read and really losing yourself in it? Yes. And that's, of course, a big topic right now, right? Having the choice of what you're interested in, what, what you would like to read and having those things available to you. It's, again, it's going back to, you know, I, I have this, this thing that I can do. I can choose a book and I can read about what, I, what I'm interested in. And we have, you know, we have so many different things now in graphic novels. People talk about graphic novels. Are, are they, I mean, yes, I agree. They are reading, right? People read in different ways. People enjoy things in different ways. So can they choose what level they want? Can they choose what they're interested in? I, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but sometimes you see a beautiful cover or something that really catches your attention. That's, that's the purpose of a, co- a cover. Um, and they they may just want to hold that in their hands and they may want to see what the story is about. But giving them that chance and that choice to say, this is what I like, this is what I'm interested in. It's so different. And in schools, of course, they have to be assigned certain reading materials. You know, kids, you may not pick a book that really you would be interested in and somebody else might know that or understand that. But as a, as a kid to be able to have that choice of what, what I'm interested in and what I want to read is, is a big deal. So I think that's why the, the book vending machine is this really cool idea that's okay, here you go. This is your freedom to read your freedom to pick what, what it is that, that you're going to be interested in or you like 
And it, it just lets them express themselves a little bit, I think. You know, instead of being assigned something, which, again, is not a bad thing because that needs to happen as well. But the, then to give this other piece where, yes, you, you get to choose it and show us a little bit about yourself and tell us, tell us why you, you picked that book. When, when I do virtual visits, I'm always asking kids to tell me what they're reading and what they like because I want to I hear about that and why. So I think, I think that gives you a, a great chance to, to see that about the kids. What, what are they choosing? What are they picking? What is their special book that they've decided to put that token in and pick? That's a great segue because you're kind of on the other side of it in a lot of aspects as a writer. So what fuels your passion for what you write about and how it actually resonates with kids? Is there a little bit of a, a momentum with that when you see that joy of what you're writing and that they really like? And does that just keep bringing the ideas in so that you can continue to tell the stories that you're telling? Yes. Uh, I, a lot of kids ask me, will I write fantasy? <laughs> that's that's a big one now. And I always say, well, I don't really read fantasy, so I don't know it enough to write it, but maybe, maybe I'll do that. So I know that that's an interest. So it, it's kind of finding that merging point where it's something that I'm interested in and I want to write about and kids are interested and want to read about. And when you when you hit that sweet spot, it's it's so great. I mean, I have my Fort Builder series, which is an early chapter book series, I wanted to write a chapter book series and my kids were younger then. And I thought, well, what do kids like to do these days, right? You don't want to just make something up that's not going to resonate with kids. But I literally looked in front of me and there was a box fort that my kids had built. So I thought, well, that would be a neat idea. And it turned into Fort Builders where they build different forts, you know, to earn money. So it's understanding what kids like to read, what they're interested in, but also what you know and what you can do. So I do a lot of fiction, but I also write nonfiction. So for me, it's finding that spark that interests me, that I want to read about it, I want to learn about it, that even if I never sell that book, I will walk out of that saying, okay, I did months and months and months of research, but I enjoyed every second of it, and now I know all of this information. And if I can find that that, and then make it interesting from a kid's perspective too, I feel like that's that's where my strength lies in saying, okay, this is really interesting, but how do I make it so that kids think it's interesting too? And and f- kind of wrangling it until it gets to that point. We touched a little bit about this, but I kind of want to circle around for those who might be potential authors out there. Can you talk about the actual research writing process where people think, <laughs> oh, well, he's Stephen King. He just comes up with a crazy idea. He sits down and he rattles off 1,500 pages. It's not really like that. Can you describe no, that not. process, please? Although Stephen King might. At oh, he very well, honestly, yeah, who knows? Probably not. He gets but, paid by the word, I'm sure, so he's just going as long as he can. He's, he's definitely an expert in this this area. So, we, well, it's, I always, when I talk to classes, I always tell them, you know, a lot of times I will talk, teachers, one of the main things they ask me to talk about is revision. And I will go through with the kids all the different steps that we have to take when I'm writing a book writing a book, sending it to critique partners, you know, my getting notes from my editor, on and on and on and on. And I'll ask them, how many times do you think an author needs to revise something before they, it becomes a book? And a lot of them guess one to three times. You know, I have give them different choices. And when they hear that it's, you know, five plus times, they, their faces just kind of drop. Like, why would you write a story five times, right? And then I say, so when your teacher asked you to do it once, not a big deal. Don't worry about it, right? But they don't, I think they don't 
nobody sees that process. I mean, I never realized that. I didn't even know until I think my third book that several proofreaders get a hold of it at some point too. I didn't know that that was part of the process. So there are all these pieces and most people don't see that. So you, you see the finished book and you think, yeah, maybe they just sat down and wrote it and that was that. They, people are also surprised to know how long books take. I mean, picture books can take three to five years to come out because then you've had, you have the illustrator piece and that's a whole whole other piece of the puzzle and, and making making that book come alive with the illustrations. So I think when you share that with, with kids and, and adults as well, and they see the work that really does go into books, it makes it a little, maybe a little easier to sit down and write to say, oh, well, an author has to do all of this. I just have to, you know, fix it a little bit because they're learning a little bit at a time, whether they're learning, you know, to have a good hook sentence or to, to make sure you close up the story or things like that. They're learning these pieces that eventually they put together and can really write something if, if that's what they're interested in. Have you ever gotten into a situation where you really had to fight for an idea that maybe an editor or a proofer wanted to change a little bit, but you were just so adamant that it had to be the way that you wanted it? Not necessarily an idea, but maybe little points in a story. Mm-hmm. So, and that changes, you know, when you when you first start working when, with an editor, you want to be flexible. You don't want to be a difficult author and demanding everything because they know what they're doing. They've done this before. They're good at it. So a lot of times, you know, and I've told my editor this story. There's an editor I've worked on most of my books with. And I'll get her, her edit letters, we call them, and she'll have all these notes. And I'll read through it and I'll think, no, that's not right. No, this is fine. No, she's wrong about that. And then I will give it a couple of days and I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll look and I'll say, oh yeah, she's totally right. Okay, I see that now. It's hard to take criticism. And it's, it's hard when somebody is telling you, well, you should change this or you should do this. So I always try never to do that. It's always suggestions. And it is from an editor too. If an editor tells you, you have to change this and this and this and this and this and this, uh, they're really not doing the job that they're supposed to. They're supposed to be guiding you, asking questions and saying, well, why does this happen here? Or should we stretch this out? Or tell me about this part. It's more of a collaborative process. And so if there is something that I feel strongly about and I can justify it, my editors are fine with that. You know, if, if I say, well, I did that because I wanted to show that she really didn't mean for it to happen, then she might, you know, my editor might say, okay, well, then I think we need one more sentence then. To, to make that clear. It wasn't clear to me as a reader. And that's what you have to keep in mind as, an ed- as a writer, that you do want it to be enjoyable and clear to a reader. So if a reader is telling you that it is not, you have to take that in and you have to listen. So there have been some, as I said, some small things or sometimes on a cover that I'll say, well, that doesn't really showcase what I, what I meant. But in general, no, there's, there's, there's usually not a forceful, you, ha- you have to do this, which is nice. And that, that's when you know you have an editor that really wants to work with you and make the story a collaborative piece. And that's really the hook that I, I, I would say, and, and maybe you can either disagree or agree, that really gets kids jazzed about reading is those well-thought-out ideas that maybe this is going to go in a completely different direction. And if it does, they're excited about it. And if it goes with what they thought was going to happen, it's kind of a, a fulfillment on their own that they are really paying attention to the story. Yes. And it's, I, you know, I, I think it's, I never like to say if something has a twist, I feel like if somebody tells you something has a twist, it, you're, you might not know exactly what it is, but you're still waiting for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I won't tell you which book of mine I'm talking about, but in one of them, I didn't, think that I could pull off this twist. 
And every time somebody tells me, I didn't know that was going to happen, it's kind of cool as a writer to say, oh, it was so obvious to me because I spent hours and hours and hours and hours writing it. It was in my head the whole time. So to find out that they didn't know or it was a surprise to them is really fun for me. And as writers, we sort of have, you know, we say you're either a plotter or a pantser, uh, meaning you either plot everything out or you write by the seat of your pants. And then there's people in the middle, which I think I'm more in the middle. I don't like to have everything plotted out because I'm that kind of reader. I like to kind of be surprised. So as a writer, I have, you know, my main plot points and I have the story in mind and I usually write the beginning and the ending first, not that I can't change it. But as I write, I feel like I get to know the characters more and I might think, oh, what if I did this? So I allow myself that flexibility to add in those fun points because as a reader, that's exactly what you described. That's what I like to to be reading something and, and kind of be tricked and think, how did I miss that? How did it was, you know, they, I love, especially in mysteries, when you think, you think it's somebody, it's so obvious that somebody did it. And then they make it clear that it wasn't them, but then it is them in the end, you know, and I just find that I, I don't know that I'm to that point yet to be able to write a mystery like that. That's, that's a whole other talent. Um, but as a reader, I love that. You know, one of my favorite authors is John Irving. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest things that I've ever heard him say was, uh, in a roundabout way, he was actually about an author that was in it. The World According to Garp is my favorite book, but he's you know, Garp is an author, and he's being interviewed, and I can tell it's John Irving coming through where he says the characters that are going to die are the ones that you fight to keep alive the most. And I often think about that, not in the same vein, but with a children's book where you know it's going to be a recurring character, that this situation might change them or they might have a different way of looking at the world, but it's not necessarily the end of that character. It's opening up a whole new door for what that character is going to experience. Yeah, that's a great quote. I love uh, John <laughs> It's, it's a, a, a thing that writers have to do that's, that's hard, not necessarily killing them off in children's books. Right. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you have to back your characters into a corner. And as a new writer, that was one of the hardest things for me to learn, that you have to be mean to your characters, right? I mean, not in a cruel way, but you have to give them obstacles and you have to make things difficult for them and then let them figure out how to get out of that. And in two ways, that's difficult because one, you you know, you fall in love with these characters and you don't want to have give them obstacles, but you have to. That's what a story is. Um, but also it's... It's this thing where you have to say, okay, well, what? I backed him into a corner. Now I don't know how to get him out, right? So you're you're the only one that can do that. So there's there's these pieces as you, as you start writing that you have to learn. Yes, you you may have to as an adult writer kill off some characters, or even if it's not just killing off the characters, but they go away for whatever reason, or you have to phase them out. The the great part though about you're talking about a recurring character is characters have to change and grow. That's the whole point of a story. And when you have a series, you have recurring characters, that's a little bit harder of a thing to pull off because they have to change and grow in each book, but not to the point where they've changed so much that you don't recognize the character by, you know, by book five or whatever it is. So there's all these little pieces that are these skills that you have to learn as an author. And I think that's why when when new writers will come to me and they've written a book and they think it's perfect and they want you to read it and just tell them that it's perfect, that's not the industry. That's not what writing stories is. It's about people telling you that it's not perfect, but here's what you can probably do to 
maybe make it better. And it doesn't mean you have to do what everybody suggests. It means you take all the suggestions. And one of the things I always say when I critique for somebody is take what resonates with you and get rid of the rest, right? If you totally disagree with me, that's okay. I'm telling you what I think as a reader. So there's, there's all these little pieces that go in, and that's, that's definitely one of them, that you, you grow to love these characters or hate these characters, whichever it is, and you have to make them do things that you might not want to do. You know, as a, as a little puppeteer, um, it might feel mean to, you know, break up a friendship or, or things like that, but you have to do it or there's no story. Can you talk a little bit about what you so eloquently called BINKWI? Um, you can explain <laughs> what that, that acronym is for, even though we already went over it. What is that and how did that come about and how does it play a role in, in literacy today? So it's a local organization. As I said, there's an international organization, so we're separate from that, but a lot of our members do both. And there's an organization in Rochester called RACWI, which is the Rochester area. We are the Buffalo Niagara Children's Writers and Illustrators. And how that started, it was, uh, I believe, about 11 years ago or so now. Uh, I met another author on Twitter. Really, At the time, I didn't know other authors in Buffalo. As I said, I was you know, hopping on, going to conferences and trying to learn how to write a book. And realized there was another author in Buffalo who had these published books. And I contacted her and we got together for coffee. And turned out we were going to the same conference in Cleveland the next weekend. So we drove together. And on the way back, we said, well, where are all the other writers in Buffalo? They ha- there have to be some, right? So we put together a, um, a conference. And all these people said, well, this is great. We have to do this more often. We have to keep doing this. We can't just stop. So we started Binkwe, we call it. And... That has become, we meet monthly. Uh, I no longer am in charge of it. I'm officially a co-founder. Uh, we meet monthly either on, online as needed or in person, and we talk to editors, we talk to authors, we do skills workshops, we do a, a lot of different things. It's, it's mainly, we have done different book donations and things like that, but it's mainly a, a craft, a way for writers and illustrators to find their community, learn their craft, learn about the business, and for us to help them get to the point that they want to get to. Inchi, the bookworm book vending machines are in schools. We're kind of on the ground floor with the way kids are approaching reading or getting their books and that sort of thing. What kinds of things do you see people outside of those set institutions being able to become advocates of reading? There's so many ways. I mean, really, it's, it, it could be as simple as dropping off your books at a little free library around the neighborhood, you know, and supporting, supporting that cause. There's a lot of, almost everywhere has some kind of local reading or, organization. There's, there's other reading organizations you can, you can donate to, you can participate in, even just to be involved in it and understand what's going on. You know, there's an organization called We Need Diverse Books. There's, there's different ways that you can, I think, so educating yourself is one, you know, learning about the different options that there are. And then there's a lot of things that pop up. I mean, with, with the war in Ukraine, there were authors donating, you know, there were different campaigns to donate books to the kids that had been displaced. So depending on what your passion is, whether you want to maybe be a tutor, I mean, you can be in a, you can be in a, a tutor for adult readers, people that don't speak English, you can work with kids. So if you want to be active in that sense, you can certainly do that. You can, if your kids are in school, you can volunteer in the libraries a lot of times. You can help with your local libraries if they have different events. You can attend, you know, author events and and writing workshops. There's all kinds of things that you can do. And I, I always try to guide people to what is it that you enjoy doing? Some people are total introverts and say, oh, no way, I, I could not 
do that. That's okay. You know, you can you can help with this. So there's a lot of different resources, and depending on where you are, I mean, really, it could be just a simple Google search, asking your li- your local library, even authors. I mean, a lot of them, if you write to them, they write back, you know, or or um, publishers or things like that that may have different different programs that you're you're interested in. A lot of the publishers have books fighting book banning now. So there's there's a lot of different things. You just have to understand what your passion is, what your skills are, what your your time is. And you can you can find a way to support literacy and su- and support reading. So we're wrapping up 2023. Holy cow, we're going into 2024 <laughs> in just a couple of weeks. Here, talk a little bit about what you've got coming up. And I know that you've uh, you've penned a new book. Can you give us a little insight on what's happened in 2023 and what's coming up for 2024? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, books take a long time to come out. So. I have two, I had two books come out this year, one, uh, two nonfiction picture books, one in February and one in September. One was about uh, called The Last Plastic Straw, so about uh, the history of the straw, which is actually exciting, and it doesn't sound like it is, but it's really interesting. And then it turns into it's the impact that plastic has had on the environment, what we can do to help. So I have a, a book that is what we would call a companion book to that called The Air We Share coming out. I actually don't know the date. I believe it might be a year or two still. And right now we're in the process of the illustrations being done. And that one is about the, the idea that what we put into the atmosphere and what it put, we put into the air doesn't stay above you. It, it moves and it affects other areas. So whether that's smoke or dust from deserts across the ocean we recently had on the East Coast where the, the fires in Canada, we literally saw the smoke come down and the colors changed in the sky, right? So it, it's about that idea, which was hard to condense. When my editor brought it to me and, and had the idea about writing a book about air and this concept, and I thought, okay, I can write about air, right? I was not really a sciencey kid, but as an adult, I really enjoy it, and I, I really am an advocate for the environment, so I was totally on board. I'll, I can figure this out. And, you know, she said, you have, a, you have a really good way of making these concepts understandable for kids. So as I would read and I would get into the science stuff and think, I don't understand this anymore, I knew I could stop because if I didn't understand it, I was not going to explain it to a kid. So I had to kind of keep going back to that idea that, you know, we, the air we share, it's as simple as that. That's, that the title explains it. So that's that's in the works. Um, I also have another fiction picture book coming out. I don't know when, <laughs> but again, probably another few years. And then I had a nonfiction picture book come out in September. And just to give you an idea, both of those books I sold three, at least three years ago. So it, it, it does take a while. It is quite a process. To, yeah. And it takes a while for those to come out. And then I'm, I'm always working on something. I always have different ideas I'm working on and Playing around with, so you never know what will be next. But those are the those are the two that I have coming out: the air we share and a yet to be determined picture book. Where's the satisfaction? I have to ask: is it in the process, or is it in that time period of where you're waiting for it to happen, <laughs> or is it when it finally does and someone says, "Okay, the book's published. We're ready to go, and it's going to get in the hands of other people." I think the best moment is when you get your box of advanced copies because it's a lot of work. That that has rolled into that, and you've already you've already seen the cover. You already know what the text says. But opening that box, and a lot of authors on social media will do unboxings, and you just see their faces light up. Again, they know they know what's in there. They've seen it, but to take it out and hold it in your hands and say, "Okay, 
it's a real book now. That's, I think, the moment that a lot of authors would say is, for them, the culmination of all the hard work coming together. Um, but for me, the, the really the most satisfying part is when a kid has read the book. And, you know, I keep, I get letters from, from classes and things like that. I have one note, one sticky note that I did a virtual visit. And at the very end, the kids were very excited about the book. The teacher was great. And at the very end, we were signing off. We had said goodbye. And this kid shouts out, keep writing books so we can read them. (laughs) And I thought I'm writing that down. And that's going to be my mantra that, you know, what I'm writing is getting kids excited about reading. So for me, seeing my book is exciting, seeing the illustrations when it's a picture book is exciting, uh, the whole thing, right? But, and there's a lot of non-exciting parts in publishing. So you have to, you have to take, you know, take those wins where you can get them. But for me, knowing that kids are getting exciting about reading because of my books, you know, when I have, I have one that's a series and then I have two books that go together. When I go to a festival or something and kids come up to my table and say, I've read these two, I want to get the next one. Or I, you know, which one should which one should I pick? Because I want to start this this series. To me, that is the moment, and that's what, as you said, coming together, the teacher in me, the reader in me, the writer in me, that I'm I'm doing something that gets kids excited about reading. And I think that's that's honestly the best part, and that's the part that through the the tough points and the you know not selling a book or, or all the researching, that's what keeps me going. Is that someday I'm going to get this hopefully get this into a, a kid's hands who is going to be excited to have it and to read it or have it pop out of a vending machine. Well, we hope you keep <laughs> writing as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being a great advocate of Inchi the Bookworm and reading and literacy in general. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And thank you for all you do. Writeforapples.com and deramito.com. Look for all those projects coming up in 2024. And again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.